Good morning. Go ahead and turn in God's Word to John chapter 14 and please stand. We'll read that together shortly. kind of start in the middle of John 14, we'll be in verses 15 through 31. The title of the passage in your Bible probably says something like, Jesus, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that what I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we start this morning, I want to share with you a common email that I send in my day-to-day job. I work in the heating and cooling industry, and when we quote a new construction, uh, HVAC system for a new construction house, here's how I often word my email to the contractor. Here is the proposal for the HVAC portion of the house you are building, and then the email goes on. This is a common email I send to contractors or homeowners when we're providing a proposal for their new home. Now, I've been intentional in wording my emails this way because my company's part of this email is only part of the construction of the entire home. So if I were to say, here is the proposal for the new home you're building, 
it may be misleading as the work quoted is only a fraction of what is needed to build the house. I share this work email line because as we look at the promise and work of the Holy Spirit, we'll see how the Father and the Son are both involved in sending of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work The Holy Spirit has his own work, yes, just like Christ has his own work, but each part of the Trinity is not working alone, but together within the Godhead. So let's push the construction analogy just a little bit further. Think of all the people and trades and companies who work together to build a house. Each trade or company has its own part, but all work toward the one goal of completing the house so too the Holy Trinity works with one purpose, which I'm going to summarize as this, is to bring about holiness and a love for God out of the believer. It was really helpful last month in our conference, our theology conference, the speaker used the word appropriation. So here's a definition of that. In theology, appropriation is used in speaking of the different persons of the Trinity. It consists in attributing certain names, qualities, or operations of one of the persons, not, however, to the exclusion of the other, but in preference to the others. So we'll focus on the work of the Spirit this morning, but also on how the Father and the Son are involved in this work, or at least involved in sending of the Spirit. Like when somebody builds a house, there are many parties involved. So with the Spirit, the Father and Son are co-workers in the Spirit coming. We'll start this morning by looking at the Father's work of sending the Spirit, then Christ's request for the Spirit to be sent, and then we'll finally look at the actual work of the Holy Spirit. As we finish, we want to look in what this will look like in our day-to-day lives, and then one way we can gauge how the Spirit is working in our lives. So as we start, I want to share one more definition of what the Holy Trinity is. This is from a, a dictionary. It says, the Christian church's belief that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three persons in one Godhead. They share the same essence or substance, yet they are three persons. God is this way within the Godhead as known in the Christian experience. So it's a definition of the Trinity. All Christians say they believe in the Holy Trinity, which they should. It's right and good and necessary. But I wonder how often when we think of the Trinity, we think as three separate gods, each doing their own work. We may not realize that we think this way about the triune God, but as we look at John 14, let's focus on the great unity in the Trinity of sending of the Spirit. So let's start by the, with the Father's part. Jesus asked the Father in verse 16 to send another helper, and the Father grants the Son's request. It is the Father who sends the Holy Spirit by the request of the Son. Jesus is starting to wrap up his ministry and knows we, his followers, are going to need help when he is gone. Verse 26 tells us similar things. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I, this is Jesus speaking, have said to you. Jesus asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and the Father grants the Son's request. 
This is interesting because the text even tells us it was the Father who sent Christ to the earth. Hear the end of verse 24. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. The Father sends the Son, and now by the request of the Son, the Father sends the Spirit. We hear a similar teaching in John 17 where Jesus teaches us that he came from above to manifest the Father to us, and then we, the church, manifest Christ to the world. The work stated here in John 14 of the Father and the Son is the same work. They have the same goals, if you will. God the Father and God the Son command that their followers keep the commandments. We're going to look in a few moments at verse 15, verse 21, Verse 23, 24, and 26. The Father also wants the church to share what Christ has done and both the Father and the Son. With both the Father and the Son, we know we're going to need help in this work. We need another helper, the text said. Jesus helps and, Christ, and the Spirit helps. <clears throat> Christ helps, yes, but the Spirit also will help. The Father sends the Holy Spirit in Christ's name, which means the Holy Spirit came to represent Christ's interest on the earth. This work is a triune work. Let's not forget that the triune God has always been at work. And what I mean here is a triune God has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were at work in the New Testament. They were at work in the Old Testament. They were at work before creation, and they're even at work today. Amen? Let's just look back at Genesis 1, showing our God working. Genesis 1.1, most of you know this. I know our kids do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even though we do see what looks like a change in the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, we must know that he has always existed. We do not believe in a one-person God in the Old Testament and then a three-person or Trinitarian God in the New Testament. The triune God that works in and through our lives now was the same God who was hovering over the face of the waters at creation. A triune God is not new. He does not change. Even in a passage like in Ephesians 1, which states the work that happened before creation, hear this. Even as he, speaking of God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Know that the triune God was planning salvation for the elect before creation. Here also is an interesting line from the Nicene Creed, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Holy Spirit's who gives life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and the, the creed goes on. When we look at the work of the triune God, let's not see three persons working on three different projects, but three persons working on one project, or you could say as a definition instead, three persons, yet one essence or one work. So again, back to our analogy, many contractors, yet one house that's being built. Now let's look at the work of the sun in our passage. First in verse 16, Christ says this, he will ask the father for another helper. In verse 18, we hear that Christ did not want to leave his children as orphans. 
Christ knew his time was near and he would be leaving, but did not want to leave his children alone. Christ also says in verse 26 that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Verse 27 states, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This looks as if peace is connected to the Holy Spirit, and this is how we receive peace is through the Spirit. It's also important to look at the work of Christ in obedience. All that Christ did was what the Father commanded in verse 31. This is so that the world may know that Christ loves the Father. Christ Christ obeyed the Father because he loved the Father. So too, followers of Christ show their love of God by their obedience to him. No less than five times do we learn that the love of God and obedience is connected. Now we're going to read those verses. So let's not miss what we're trying to be told here. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 23. Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And lastly, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. As parents, we tell our kids the same thing over and over again so they, they know what we're trying to teach them, right? That's what the Lord's doing here. Multiple times, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What we see in our passage is Christ obeying what the Father commands, the Father granting what the Son requests, and the Spirit working as the Father and the Son desire. That's unity. Then, through all of this, the followers of Christ are to obey what Scripture commands. Our helper, the Holy Spirit, is sent to help us obey. And we'll look at the full work of the Holy Spirit in just a few moments. We can also observe here the triune of our triune God and the believer, the relationship that is. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. There is unity in the Godhead, and there is also unity amongst the Christian with the triune God. We don't just have a relationship with Christ or just with the Holy Spirit, but our relationship is with God, is with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our passage ends with Christ saying, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So too, church, the goal of the Trinity is bring about holiness and a love for God so that the world can see. Now that we've briefly looked at the, at the Father and the Son's role in sending the Holy Spirit, let's now look at the Spirit's work, which is the main point of our passage. The Holy Spirit is forever, meaning he has been around from the beginning, and he is not going anywhere. However, his role in helping believers is increasing. By Christ paying the penalty of sin, God the Spirit is now able to indwell believers more than he was before. We often hear in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit came upon saints or filled them But soon after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we see language like indwelt. Think of the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The same spirit, but better work, because Christ bridged. The same spirit, but better work, because Christ bridged the separation between man and God, allowing for true communion, man with his creator. The Holy Spirit is also for those, is, is only for those who love and obey God. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, verse 17 says, the world cannot receive the helper because they do not see nor know him. And verse 22 says, Christ will not manifest himself to the world. This may seem obvious for us as Christians, but let's not miss what Scripture is telling us. Those who do not know God do not have a relationship with him, nor can do what they are commanded to. But they are still held accountable. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit is for those who know God. The only way the Holy Spirit works in the lives of unbelievers is to convict them of their sin. Hear John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit's main work is to help believers love and obey God. Those who do not No God cannot do this. Therefore, we should not be surprised when unbelievers do not obey God and his word. Now God's word is clear. All people are guilty and they will stand before a holy God and for their sin. And let's not confuse the two. The Holy Spirit helps believers. The Holy Spirit convicts. You could even say condemns unbelievers. We need the Holy Spirit to do what God has commanded us to do. We need the Holy Spirit to know God. All should obey God, and all will stand before God on Judgment Day, but the work of the Spirit is for believers. So our passage tells us two things that the Holy Spirit, who's called the Spirit of Truth, will help us with. One, he will teach us, and two, he will help us to remember. He will teach us and help us to remember What he teaches us is a truth found in God's word, and he helps us remember this same truth. Look at the theme throughout our passage. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. We are loved by God if we love him. The Holy Spirit is sent to those who love God to help them better obey, which leads to helping them better love God. It's like a circle, kind of. We love God. We know his word. Listen to similar language in 1 John chapter 2. But the anointing that you received from him, speaking of the Holy Spirit, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything. Holy Spirit teaches us. Jesus tells us that he does not want to leave us as orphans, speaking of sending us a helper. Think of the Spirit maybe like a parent, teaching us things that we need to know. What he is teaching us is to know and to love God the way we should, the way God deserves to be known and loved. As we look at this work, let's also again see the unity amongst the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all work together so that God is loved as he should be, 
and those who love him will keep his commandments. Or you could say that God's word is obeyed, is at the heart of this. <clears throat> twice, twice in our passage we're told, if you love me, <clears throat> you will keep my commandments. Verse 15 and 21. Then twice we're told, anyone who loves me will keep my word. Verse 23 and the reverse in 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The end of verse 21 states, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. As we walk with God, we should see things, we should see these things manifest in our new spirit-filled lives. Our love for God and his word will grow, our desire for the things of God will grow, and our obedience to him will increase. Our knowledge of his word will grow. These are all signs that God is working in our life. These are the gifts of grace. These are gifts of grace, and they're not how we are saved, but they are works that we can expect to happen when the Spirit saves us. These things will happen in a believer's life. God the Father and God the Son send the Holy Spirit to help in our weakness. We need him. And without the help of God, we would not obey or know God as we should. Listen to Romans 8. The Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. John 16 again. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. We just read a question a few weeks ago from the New City Catechism, question 37. Ask this. How does the Holy Spirit help us? The answer, the Holy Spirit convicts us, con convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and a desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. Now that we have an understanding of what our passage teaches us, let's briefly look at the rest of the Gospel of John to see what Christ expects out of followers of him and how the spirit can help in this so john 15 we hear that we are to bear fruit when we abide in christ with the work of the holy spirit john 15 says i am the vine and you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing abiding in christ being dwelt in the holy spirit will mean growth in the christian we will bear fruit, fruit showing who we are and what we believe. This work is not our doing, but God working in us. John 16, we learn that we are to have a love for one another. Later in the same chapter, we hear of a separation Christians are to have of the world when persecution comes. In John 17, we start to get a glimpse of what Christ wants his followers to do is to go out and share what Christ came to do. We can look even in Acts at the early church when the Spirit of God's moving amongst his people and it said this of the apostles, that they, these men have turned the world upside down. This is God's Spirit working through God's people. God will work in the hearts of his people and the world will see. Let's take a, let's take a step back and see what a Christian should look like according to Scripture. We get a fuller picture of this. A Christian is someone who has been called by God, who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. A Christian is one who loves God more than anything else. 
And these things take time, but that's the goal. This is someone who intentionally keeps God's commandments. The Spirit will be with this person forever. Someone who is born again is Spirit-filled. Someone who is Spirit-filled is a Christian, and a Christian is always born again. A Christian is loved by God. A Christian is someone who is taught by the Holy Spirit. This is done by hearing, reading, treasuring God's word for what it is. Christians are those who have a love for God's people and they love to worship with God's people. Romans 8 9 tells us, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to him. When someone comes to Christ, they also come to dwell with the Holy Spirit. This happens at the same time. This is not some separate event that other churches may teach, which we'll talk about in a little bit. When we look at the ministry of the early church, what we see is a building from the old covenant to the new covenant. What we see in the early church in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church. And part of this work is some miraculous things that happen, right? We see this either in the Old Testament with the prophets or in the New Testament with the apostles as some really miraculous things happening in and through the work of the early church by the Spirit. Acts records this transition in redemptive history when God, for our sake, had to make it clear that his gifts were no longer limited to Jews. In fact, Acts begins by telling us that the apostles would be witnesses to Christ first in Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. The spirit baptisms recorded in Acts confirm the geographic spread of the gospel. But what we see, I just heard this through a video I was watching, is that after 1 Corinthians, you don't hear much of the miraculous gifts anymore. They were there, the, the, the ministry was building, Christ was name was going forth, the Spirit was working, but there was a time and season for those. So knowing all of this, how are we to gauge if the Spirit is working in our lives? We say if we're believers, we have the Spirit. But what do we, what do we look for? One of the tools that we use here at Redeeming Grace to make sure we're living and growing as we should is our covenant. We can look at Scripture, yes, and we should, but we can also look at our covenant as a guide which is based on Scripture. Understand, church, the covenant is not in competition to Scripture, but it's there to help as a guide. Think about the covenant as a paintbrush applying the truth of God's Word to our lives. Our covenant is how we gauge our growth and commitment to the Lord and to one another. Every member of Redeeming Grace commits to this. So I do want us to walk through our covenant this morning to remind ourselves what it says and to reflect to see if we are living as we should with the Holy Spirit's help. But as we read each line, I do want to focus on how God helps us with this. So I'm going to add to each covenant commitment this that says, we're going to say, by God's help. So every commitment we're going to read, we do it by God's help. To really drive home the point that we need and we receive from the Spirit. And then with every commitment, I'm going to read a passage along with it. And, and you can find these in your Explore manual that most of you should have. So let's do that now. So as members of Redeeming Grace to one another, we commit by God's help to walk together in Christian love. God's Word tells us in John 13 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how God's Spirit works in our lives. Number two, we commit by God's help to be eager to maintain the unity of the church. Ephesians 4 tells us, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God helps us with unity. Number three, we commit by God's help to care for and watch over one another. God tells us in Galatians, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God can help us in this work. Number four, we commit by God's help to share our burdens and sorrows and joys with each other. Romans 12 tells us, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Live in harmony with one another. Can God help us with that work? Amen. Number five, we commit by God's help to be slow to take offense, quick to forgive, and relentless in pursuing reconciliation. Colossians 3 instructs us as God's chosen ones to put on holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving each other. And to put on the love of Christ, which binds all things together. Again, the Spirit helps us with these things. Number six, we commit by God's help to be diligent in attending the Sunday morning worship gathering. It's vital that we see the Sunday gathering for, for worship as a command and not just something that we can do. If we see it this way, it'll be easier to obey Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, the Spirit works in our, house, our heart so that we want to be here with God's people to worship God. Amen? Amen? Number seven, we commit by God's help to contribute to the financial support of the church. Well, there are several passages listed here in our confession, like most of them. First John says this, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? As followers of Christ, our love should affect our head, our hearts, our hands, and even our checkbooks or credit cards, right? We want to support the work that's going on here, and we do, amen? Number eight, we commit by God's help to pray for the members of Redeeming Grace. Romans 12, 1 Thessalonians 5 tell us that we are to pray for all things and to continually be in prayer, and that part of our praying should be with God's people and for God's people. Number nine, we commit by God's help to engage in personal Bible reading and study. Our text here in John 14 tells us explicitly that the Holy Spirit will help us with this. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that God's word makes, it, makes us complete for every good work. The more we know God's word, the more we'll be able to obey it. I was reading this morning 
um, some membership um, applications that we got back from our Explored class. And one of the ones I read, the, the lady just said, all the ways that she grows. She said, more than anything else, I grow by reading and knowing God's word. God can help us with that. Number 10, we commit by God's help to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's almost the exact wording of Ephesians 6. Bring up your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. God working through his church will help us to do this. So two charges, young families, mom and dad, be humble to receive help from the church. Everybody else, be bold to ask young families if they need help. God can help with that. Number 11, we commit by God's help to turn from all sin and live God-honoring lives. Titus 2 instructs us in verse 11 through 14 to renounce ungodliness, to live self-controlled lives, upright, godly lives as we wait for our Redeemer. As the Spirit's working in our hearts and, and teaching us, reminding us of His Word, our sin will be dealt with. Maybe not overnight, but through time our sin will be dealt with. Number 12, we commit by God's help to be intentional in sharing the gospel with those around us. We take God's commission seriously in Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I found in my life that this happens, the Spirit works mostly in this regard with you. With other people doing this work, I'm encouraged and I'm taught that I need to be sharing the gospel. That's one way the Spirit can work in this context. So these are the 12 commitments based on God's word that we covenant to do together as a local church. Not on our own strength, but by God working in and through us. So read this. Often, remind yourself what it says. Teach it to yourself and to others. This will help you as an individual, and this will help us as a church to watch and wait for the Spirit to work as he's designed to. You have committed to Christ, not just as a member of this church, but also as children of God. God the Father, by the request of the Son, gives the Spirit to help us know and to obey him. If you are not a child of God, then these things are really not true of you, and they're not for you, but they can be. Verse 16 of our passage tells us that unbelievers cannot receive the Spirit because they do not see Him nor know Him. But again, you need to. You need the Holy Spirit, but not just the Holy Spirit. You need the triune God Himself. For you are guilty before God because of your sin, and the Bible tells us that you know this. That deep down that you know this. Judgment day is coming and there will be a reckoning of your sin to be paid for, but not by Christ, if you don't know him, but by yourself. God offers a salvation that can only be found in him. Your sins can be forgiven. Peace, true peace is possible in Christ by the Spirit. By the Spirit in Christ. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, if you even think that may be you, Let's talk to somebody about it this morning. Let's consider one more thing as we close. My wife had a conversation with a few years ago with a lady kind of in, in regards to our church. In the conversation, the lady said something to my wife like this, does your, does your church believe in the Holy Spirit? 
And when my wife told me this story, I, I made sure and interrupted her and said, you told her no, right? <laughs> now, that's wrong. I was joking, of course, but when someone is asking a question like that, they're generally wanting to know if we practice the miraculous gifts like we see in the early church in Acts. We see this in charismatic and Pentecostal churches even today. But I, too, have had conversations with people like this where I've been asked, is your church a spirit-filled church? This is important. We should and we can say yes. We believe in the Spirit. The Spirit is here. We believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see the Spirit convict us of sin, give us new life, pursue righteousness in our hearts, strengthen us, renew us, teach us, remind us of God's Word. You see, the work of the Spirit we believe in and see is eternal. And unfortunately, those that seek the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are often looking for flashy miracles, experiences, and they often will miss God himself. All you have to do is YouTube it. Watch the American Gospel videos. These will teach you this stuff. Let's not miss the forest for the trees, and let's not throw out the Holy Spirit just because some denominations teach falsely the work of the Spirit. But let's embrace the Spirit, let Him work in our lives so that we can love and obey God more faithfully. Seek the Lord through His Word and His church. Continually pray for God's Spirit to teach you while you read the Word of God. Be sensitive to what God may be showing you and watch for the Lord to work in and through your life. One of the major themes that we see in our text is love. We learn three times that if we love God, we'll keep His commandments. If we love God, we'll be loved by God. He who is loved by God, Christ, will manifest himself to him, and then the world should know those who love God. I'd like to end by reading a prayer, or praying a prayer out of the Valley of Vision called Trinity. Pray with me. Three in one, one in three, God of our salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, Eternal Spirit, we adore you as one being, one essence, one God, and three distinct persons. For bringing sinners to your knowledge and to your kingdom. O Father, thou hast loved us and sent Jesus to redeem us. O Jesus, thou hast loved us and assumed our nature. Shed thine own blood to wash away our sins. Wrought righteousness to cover our unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, you have loved us and entered our heart implanted their eternal life, revealed to us the glories of Jesus. Three persons and one God, we bless and praise thee for love so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and then raise them to glory. Father, we thank you that in the fullness of grace you have given us Jesus to be his sheep, jewel and portion. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that in the fullness of grace you have accepted, exposed, and bound us. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that in the fullness of grace you have exhibited Jesus as our salvation, implanted faith within us, subdued our stubborn hearts, and made us one with him forever. Father, thou art enthroned to hear our prayers. O oh, Jesus, thy hand is outstretched to take our petitions. O oh, Holy Spirit, thou art willing to help our infirmities to show our needs, 
to supply words to pray within us, to strengthen us that we faint not in supplication. O triune God, who commanded the universe, you have commanded us to ask for those things that concern your kingdom and our souls. Let us live and pray as one baptized into your threefold name. We ask and pray all of this in your Son's name as we wait for your Spirit to work in our lives. Amen.